0: Welcome to the Legally Sound Smart Business Show, your weekly look at legal news and questions in the business world. Here are your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Stobb. All
1: right, welcome to Legally Sound Smart Business. This is Matt Staub. <laughs> oh, and Nasser Pasha.
2: I would like to be introduced first one time, I guess. We're only uh, <laughs> 89 episodes in, still yet to happen, but one day you never know. Actually, no. The one time you weren't there, I introduced myself first, so... Oh, that's right. Forgot about when that. When was
1: I... Ne- oh, because... It was a best-of episode. You like to talk about that yeah. time that you did it by yourself. That's interesting. It was only like a minute long at most, so... All right. Well, welcome to the Business Law Podcast. This is where we cover business in the news and also answer some of your business legal questions that you, the listener, can send in to ask at legallysoundsmartbusiness dot com, or
2: you can send direct tweets or direct messages through Twitter. Yep. Ask Biz Law, right?
1: Ask Biz Law. B I Z L E W. Yeah.
2: I wonder how we got that name. Seems like that would have been
1: taken. Well, I was going to put ask at legallysoundsmartbusiness dot com or smart business, but it was so <laughs> long. And I didn't want to put the acronym because that didn't really look right. So, and legally sound, and I don't think was, was too long too or something. I don't remember. Yeah, we lucked out. Yeah, that's a good one.
2: So, what do we have on the docket today? We're talking about Facebook <laughs> on the docket. I like that. And we're talking about Facebook likes specifically. I know our the Legally Sound Facebook page has hundreds of thousands of likes because we've paid lots of money for that. Yeah, but about a dollar, not just joking. They're all international. <laughs> that does talk about in the story: five hundred bucks for ten thousand likes it seems like a good deal. I guess. I think that's for U.S. likes, though, right? For five hundred bucks, you get ten thousand likes in the U.S., or you can pay. There's a
1: cheaper rate for international. What does it matter where it comes from if you're just paying for likes? Like, it's still a decent number. No one can see, or maybe they can. I don't know. Anyways, we're getting... Well, I guess we're
2: not getting off topic because that's, that's kind of the story <laughs> here. Is, so. Let's not talk about Facebook likes anymore.
1: That's off topic.
2: Who owns these Facebook likes? That's really the question that it comes down to. And this all came about because I guess there was a, a show that was on BET, which I'm not really familiar with the show, but... Called The Game. I've never heard of it myself. The Game, yeah. It started a show. It went off air, but their Facebook page lived on and they ended up getting 2 million likes on this Facebook page for the show. And so BET was trying to say, hey, you need to give us these likes, I guess. I'm not even sure how this works. So because they have the likes, do they have the information for all those people? Is that what it's boiling down to?
1: I'm trying to think about it. I don't think you have very much information. But this case comes with a story just like any court case. I think it's semi-interesting is that even though this fan page came out when the show came out, the person who ran it was not a employee or even associated with the show. So it wasn't an actual official page. But after the show went off air, it continued to just get more likes. And I think people missed it or whatever. Who knows? And then when it came back, instead of the game, the show, BET, creating their own new page, they're like, okay, well, this page is still out there. Let's just use hers. And this is just some fan. And so they entered into some kind of contract agreement where... She'd post for her and she'd be paid like three or four thousand dollars per month. And there's some different terms in there, but then she wanted more money. And so, long story short, one of the uh, terms of the agreement was that she would give BET administrative rights to the actual fan page and she revoked them. And so now BET is locked out of their own Facebook page for their show and now they're in dispute. And so then they file a complaint with Facebook. And this is a very easy process, by the way. If you have somebody else that's using your copyright material, which in this case there were, Facebook will actually shut that page down. But in this case, I've never heard of this, they requested Facebook not only to shut it down, but transfer the likes to the new Facebook page, which I don't even know that they could do that, and Facebook would be willing to do so, but apparently it did. And then, of course, that woman, that fan Sues for a number of things, including breach of contract and so forth, but also for what's called conversion. Conversion is like the civil equivalent to theft. So basically, says they stole my likes. Right, sued for breach of contract, and when she breached it
2: first, but that's fine. I guess that's how it works. There's a previous case, and I think this one's dealing with Twitter as well. But an employer employee. This ended up settling out, so we don't know how it ultimately would have fallen down, but. A former employee of a company changed the Twitter handle from the name of the company with, you know, it was the name of a company, I'll just say, phone Dog underscore Noah. Great company name. Which PhoneDog was the name of the company, I guess, and Noah was his name. He changed it then to Noah Kravitz, which is just his full name when he quit, uh, <laughs> which is obviously a problem because it's the employer's Twitter
1: that was under that, so... It's an interesting topic because basically the value is in those followers, right? And usually if the account is created within the capacity as an employee and so forth, but a lot of times what happens is people will still retain their personal account, but they use it to promote company stuff. And then it becomes a little more ambiguous. But
2: yeah, I mean, in this situation, I imagine the employer told him to do this. So I would assume it's going to be the employer's property in this case. But it's interesting. The employer valued it.
1: $2.50 per follower, right? Each follower per month. But that seems like crap. I mean, we have tons of followers and half of them are probably bots and not even real people, frankly. And yeah. I wish someone would pay me that much per follower, you know, <laughs> <laughs> frankly. Yeah. But beyond that, what's interesting is that you even said it too. You mentioned the followers as property. And according to this court, I don't know if I agree with it, but this court in this court in Florida, because conversion is an allegation that you stole property, The court says Facebook likes aren't property, and if they are property, they're not the property of this fan page woman. To me, it's a strange argument, and it's a very difficult—this is where, again, where there may not be a perfect legal remedy to this circumstance because it's new technology. Because if you think about it, all a like is, to me, is someone subscribing to a page saying that, okay— I want to see updates, and also I'm liking it to show other people that I'm interested in this topic or whatever, right? Yeah. But is that property? I don't know, but it has value too, right? And the fact that it's being transferred is a big deal, and all of a sudden that opportunity, that business opportunity to utilize those subscribers to do something else. But at the same time, I don't really have that person is still infringing upon the copyrighted material from their fan page. So does that mean that she has to lose all of her likes? I don't. It doesn't seem necessarily 100% fair. Yeah, I'm trying to look up the show right now. Yeah, I'm, never, I'm not familiar with it. Not that it really matters. No, I think it definitely matters because if I like it, then <laughs> I'm going to be against this fan person. My opinion changes. I remember the game with Michael Douglas, right? The movie. That was a good movie. I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> I don't think it's the same thing, but. No, this looks very different. This is some kind of. I can't even explain it. It just seems like. I tried to go to the Facebook page. It's not loading, so I don't know if that's intentional or. That's interesting, actually. Oh, here's the Wikipedia page. This will tell us what this is, it'll give a synopsis. Oh, wow. The game is an American comedy, drama, television series created by Mara Brock Akeel. And I guess that's all we need to know a comedy, drama, television series. I thought it seemed like a reality show to me, but
2: On their Facebook page right now it has seven point one seven million likes. So way more than Whoa. Way more than the two million. Are you serious?
1: Yeah. That's that's some yeah, originally I had two million, that's a big deal. Yeah. That's about three hundred thousand more than we have. Yeah, I know. Crazy, crazy crazy world we live in.
2: All right, well, we'll jump into question of the day. Jump into it. Who can sign off on an agreement for a specific type of entity? I'm guessing they're trying to choose what type of entity they want to be and they're basing their decision on who can sign off on an
1: agreement. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You know, what's interesting about this question is, I don't know how many times I've seen just random people in an organization signing contracts. That's a good point. And what people don't realize is that I'm not talking about the company itself, but let's say that one of your companies has a contract with another company and some lower level employee is the one that's signing it. The problem with that from your end is enforceability because there are issues with whether or not you've actually entered into a contract, whether the person was authorized to do so. And so you kind of have to depend upon whether or not you had reason to believe that they had authority to. And when you're dealing with corporations in general, it's only the president and vice president that's typically authorized to sign and execute such agreements, not the secretary, yeah. not the treasurer necessarily. But I mean, of course, they can actually give such authorization and that doesn't necessarily have to be very formal in all cases as well.
2: Usually you can figure it out, it's pretty logical, it common sense you can figure yeah. it out, but you know, you look to your governing documents too, so if the articles or the bylaws say, you know, these people have authority to sign off on things, then that's what it is. And
1: yeah. And a lot of times too, like they'll have some kind of general statement and then the board of directors or the managers will specify officers that are authorized. And a lot of times if you see a contract, any kind of major contract with significant economic impact will have either two things. Either they'll have some kind of statement that says that those that are signing are representing the fact that they actually are authorized to sign, etc. Or two, especially like in a sale of an acquisition of a company or something really major like that, what they'll do is they'll require an actual company resolution saying that the company is authorizing the sale of the business, etc., or the property. And even the title companies and escrow will be very diligent to make sure that the proper signatures are there find out who the officers are, who the shareholders are, who the members are, even in some cases where they want all of the shareholders or all of the members or all of the board of directors signing the document. And that's just simple due diligence. But as far as what the minimum is, it just depends on the transaction. Exactly.
2: All right. Well, I think we gave him a good answer for that one. I think so.
1: All right. Well, thanks for joining us and uh, keep it sound and keep it smart. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, steal my line.
2: I don't have a line, so... Thanks, guys. Keep it sound and keep it smart.
0: This has been the Legally Sound Smart Business Show with your hosts, Nasir Pasha and Matt Staub. The Legally Sound Smart Business Show is your weekly look at legal news and questions in the business world. Legally Sound Smart Business is a podcast that is intended but not promised or guaranteed to be current, complete, or up-to-date and should in no way be taken as an indication of future results. No attorney-client relationship is created by listening or submitting questions to the podcast. The podcast does not constitute legal advice, but rather is offered only for general informational and educational purposes. You should not act or rely on any information in the podcast without first seeking the advice of an attorney. The opinions expressed in the podcast reflect the views of those individuals and do not necessarily represent the views of any other individual or business. For more information about the Legally Sound Smart Business Show, visit LegallySoundSmartBusiness.com.